Hi, this is Jim Lyon. You're listening to Viewpoint. And with me today, Obadiah Smith. Glad to be here, Jim. Obadiah, I should be saying Obadiah, sir, because <laughs> you are today here in uniform. Yes, I am. You are in the United States Air Force. Yes. You serve as a chaplain there. Yes, sir. And did I hear you just got a, a promotion? Yes, I'm Lieutenant Colonel Select. Whoa, I, that just sounds like a big step forward, and I'm so proud to know you. Thanks for that service you do. Yeah, thank you, Jim. And I know that as you work in the military, you, as a chaplain, have a specific focus. You've spent much of the last few years helping people re-enter into civilian life or into domestic life here in the States, having been far afield, maybe on a front line of battle. That's got to be a pretty stretching assignment. Yes, it is, Jim, particularly as you try to be the visible reminder of the holy and providing hope to those that need that particular hope as they transition back into the civilian life and even into their military life. And it is a challenge. And a lot of people, of course, face awful things in the front lines of battle. There's trauma and there's post-traumatic stress. Yes, sir. And I know that one of the most challenging assignments in your portfolio is to help a family through a scenario where a loved one may have taken their own life. Yes. We call it suicide aftermath and walking with that family as they deal with the grief and the pain and the suffering. But then also one aspect of chaplaincy is actually working with those who may be contemplating suicide and walking them through that they have value in life and putting some steps in motion as far as some techniques and some things that they can move on in their life. So it's a challenge on both ends that we're involved in. And Obadiah, we all know that suicide is a part of life, sadly. And it's one of those things that everybody understands the word, they know the the definition. But unless it touches you, up close and personal. It's hard to comprehend the expanse and the depth of what that means. You're right, Jim. I mean, even in my professional career uh, as a chaplain, but then when it hit home in my family and came close, it brought a different dynamic. And then it also even changed my Christian perspective because sometimes we can be so dogmatic about one that has committed suicide, but then I got to start questioning, where's the love of God? And what hope can I bring to the families that are still alive And who am I to make judgment whether someone is in heaven or hell? That's God's determination. But I'm in the land of the living, and let me bring hope. And so here we are today, Obadiah, where we talk about this very important, powerful, and also sad reality, suicide. What happens when someone contemplates ending their own life? What happens when you're the loved one who is left behind? And we're so thankful today to have two wonderful people who have been touched by suicide in their own home and have also brought a word of hope to others. Stay with us. Our guests today on Viewpoint are Steve and Sherry Christian. We're so glad you're here. Thank you, Jim. Thank you. And uh, Steve and Sherry are bright and fun people. I know this because I've known them for a long, long time. Let's just get it out there on the table. When my son was in the eighth grade and your daughter was about seventh grade, there was some, something going on there, wasn't there? We were hoping anyway. That's right. And so I've known the Christians for a long time. Great folks. Mm. And uh, Steve, you're a law enforcement officer. Is that right? Yes, I've been a police officer for a long time. How long? Come on. 38 years. 38 years. You're way too young. You must have been a kid wielding uh, that night's Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and as a law enforcement uh, career, you see a lot of things. You you see a lot of tragedies and mess-ups and things that you couldn't have imagined, and you drive up on scenarios that you wouldn't choose for yourself 
but that's been a part of your professional life. Yes, it is. But you're probably never prepared when you drive up and you find it's someone so close to you as to be your own son who's lying by the road. I don't think you could ever be prepared for that. But that's part of your story. Yes, it is. And Sherry, you work also. What do you do? I am a sales representative for Warner Press. I've been there 23 years. And know your way around the publishing business. Yes. And does Steve and Sherry have a family? They have been married for many years, young as they are, <laughs> and they've raised up some wonderful children. Today, though, we want to talk about your son, Stephen Ryan. You called him Ryan. Ryan. And uh, Ryan found himself in a desperate moment where he claimed his own life. Before we get to that awful moment, which changed everything for you, mm-hmm. let's talk about Ryan for a minute. Just tell us about this guy who was so bright and fun, and let me tell you, handsome too, just like all of your kids, just like his parents. I mean, he walked into a room and heads turned. Tell us about Ryan. What was one thing you loved about that guy? Ryan loved pumpkin pie, <laughs> and I think he got that from me because I love pumpkin pie too. But And he was such a energetic child and loved animals and such a, a kind-hearted kid. He had kind of a tender heart, didn't he? Yes, he had a He very... was not hard. There was not a no. shell around him. He was someone who experienced and felt deeply. That's my impression. Yes. And uh, Ryan went to school, grew up in central Indiana, has a house with mom and dad. You had an in-ground pool at your house. Yes. And I know because my eighth grade son was, was, was over there. I mean, I'm, I'm just illustrating that this was an idyllic upbringing in so many ways. As, as you look from the outside, you think, well, boy, Ryan's got it together. He's got very bright parents. He has a loving family. He's got an in-ground pool. I mean, there's a lot of things going for his favor to his advantage. But he also had some struggles, didn't he? He did. And uh, Steve, I know that as Ryan's life unfolded, you discovered that he had been the victim of a molestation. Tell me something about that and and how you believe that impacted your son. Just before his third birthday, we came to the realization that he had been molested and it had been apparently going on for a period of time. And what we saw after that was it totally, I'm going to use the term, warped his life. It became a lens that he looked through everything and determined what his take on things were based on that lens and his observations. Uh, It made him question everything about himself, his self-worth. He never felt like he fit in. He questioned his value. It, It just literally shattered his world. And I'm hearing you say that even at a tender young age, before he's in school, sexual molestation can frame a lifetime. And, and robbed him of something pure and good and innocent that he might otherwise have enjoyed. Yes, I believe that. And uh, were there other dynamics in Ryan's life as he grew older? He, he did go to school, and he became a teenager, and he's, again, very active physically. I mean, he's, he's an ordinary guy from the outside in his place and time. Did he have some other struggles that he would find as he became a young man? Ryan was... Um very overweight and I think that hindered him in a lot of things he did try to play football and tried to excel at that he always kind of struggled in school a little bit wasn't always accepted even in in youth groups at times but he became involved in Satanism I wouldn't say he was 
what you would call a true satanic worshiper. I think he was dabbling, trying to find out what this was all about. And he did have a satanic Bible, but he still, even through all that, helped his friends, you know, would do good things for other people. He still had a soft heart, but I'm hearing you say that as he became a teenager and begins to individuate, he's making choices for himself as everybody does as they become adolescents. He began to explore and found in the occult something to wrestle with and kind of developed a circle of friends and social relationships of people who had this, this bent towards Satanism, as you've described it. How old would you say he was at the time he first discovered that? Probably 15. And Ryan is not a person who was raised up in a house where there were pentagrams and occult practice. <laughs> I mean, it's something that you just stumble into in a world where public schools and, mm-hmm. and people on the streets and everywhere just have a variety of ideas and approaches to life. And he just kind of began to knock on other doors besides the ones you might have put before him. Is that fair? Yes, totally. And... Uh, As we think about Ryan's life, when we come back, I want to ask you, Steve, about the consequence of these influences for all the love and the nurturing he had at home, but also the challenges for molestation and maybe struggles with weight and his own. All of those connect his sense of worth and value and then the satanic influence. How that also fed into a kind of depression that became a dark cloud. Oh, drowning. here talking to Steve and Sherry Christian, and I was wondering, Steve, can you just share a little bit about Ryan's depression? We saw a real change in Ryan even at an early age after the molestation came out. He had always been a very outgoing, kind of vivacious, happy child, and that changed. He kind of pulled within himself. He was, could be withdrawn at times. And we came to realize that he was struggling with depression. And the older that he got, the more it seemed that he struggled with this depression. It was something that had control of him. It was a prison that he was trapped in. And I believe that as he turned to the occult and that type of thing, he was looking for some relief from that depression. Uh, he was looking for an escape. And as, as that depression began to cloud and shadow his life. He also had a dramatic moment about a year before his passing in a car accident where he felt like the Lord intervened to save his life. And as that happened, he, he decided, you know what, I'm, I'm just going to come clear. It shook up the whole worldview. And Sherry, I know you heard your son articulate, I'm not going back. 
I, I want to get out of this cloud. I want to get away from these dark corners. I want to walk into the sunshine. Is that where he went? Yes, him and a friend was in his truck, and the truck flipped several times. And when it did, his friend said he heard a voice say, put your hand on the roof. And when he did, it kept Ryan from flying out of the truck. And Ryan got out of the car, and he says, I'll never say I don't believe in God again. And he threw that satanic Bible away, and he started turning his life around. The depression seemed to lift, and he, he seemed to really want to live and he began to take some forward motion then yes. into the light, you might say. He, mm-hmm. he began to recalibrate his worldview and, and fight the fight. But it was a fight because you don't just walk out of, of a world where he had been living and into a new place just suddenly. There were some battles. And I believe that the enemy of our souls who works in all of this, he doesn't let go easily. He doesn't just say, oh, all right then, I'll let you... Uh, fall into the arms of Jesus, there's always a struggle emotionally and socially and intellectually. And, and Ryan was fighting that fight until one awful day on a 4th of July weekend. And uh, he stormed out of the house. Mm-hmm. And you weren't sure where he went. But in the end, Steve, the local police officer, gets a tip, goes to a cornfield, and there you find your son. Can you tell me what happened? I got a phone call from the supervisor that was on duty that was a friend of mine, and he probably violated all protocol by calling me, but we were close, and uh, I went to where they had located Ryan's truck, and when I got there, there were county deputies, and they basically did not want me to go searching the field, but I told them I have to go find my son, and I walked back into this field probably 150 yards. Ryan was dressed in a pair of khaki pants, and and I say all that just simply to say that I practically tripped across him before I realized that it was his body laying there. And at the point in time that I saw his body, I just fell to my knees beside him and let out what I've been told was a horrible scream. But at that point in time, it just pierced me through my entire body, it's okay, he's with me. And I knew it was God giving me the reassurance that my son was okay. And ultimately, that's all I ever needed to know. Ryan had a gun nearby. He did. And it appears that he pulled the trigger on himself. Yes, he took my duty weapon and turned it on himself. And as you wrestle with that moment, uh, that awful realization, my son is gone, and not only is he gone, it's not an accident, it's not a cancerous tumor, it's a choice he made. What did you think? I think the main thing that I thought was that God was gracious enough to let me know that Ryan was safe and secure and with him. And I believe that whenever he fell, that he fell into the arms of Jesus. The cruelest word coldest heart the deepest wound the endless dark the lonely ache the burning tears the bitter nights the wasted years life breaks and falls apart 
Ryan Christian claimed his own life. His parents have come to terms with that loss. It's never easy, and their lives have been changed forever. How old was Ryan Sherry when he passed away? He was 17. 
He was just 17 years old, a young man with a lifetime ahead, who in a dark moment decided that he couldn't go on for whatever was in his head and heart in that minute of time. He felt like he had to end his life, and it's an awful tragedy. It's hard to imagine even how you would go forward from a day like that, but I know that you are both, Steve and Sherry, his parents, people of faith. I know that you've discovered some things about God and about life, even in your son's death. Sherry, you gave me a Bible passage, and uh, this is one that you've held on to. It's actually even in his obituary these many years ago, and it was my privilege to stand with you at that service of saying goodbye at the last, that funeral service. But this is the passage, Isaiah 42, 3. He will not break the bruised reed, nor quench the dimly burning flame. He will encourage the faint-hearted, those tempted to despair. He will see full justice given to all who have been wronged. There's a scripture that the Lord gave you in the moment that you still hold on to. What does it say to you? Ryan was the bruised reed. He was the dimly burning flame. And God did not let him go. And I I think through all this, I think there has been tinges, just like you said, Obadiah. Some people think that because you commit suicide, you're going to go to hell. And I know that God's grace and mercy was with Ryan that day. He was so hurting and had nowhere else to go. And I know God rescued him. And I'm thankful that that I went through this experience because I do know more of what God's grace is now than I could ever if I had not gone through this. And when we say that the Lord was with him, I think we'd all agree that the Lord does not encourage anyone to take their own life. No. He never prompts us to get to that outcome. But even in our desperation, in the confusion, in the despair of our deepest being, the Lord is by us. And I have to believe that when someone takes their own life, we often imagine it to be an instantaneous moment. You know, I make a decision to take my life, and there, that's that. And therefore, I'm condemned for eternity as a consequence of unjustly taking a life. It's a kind of murder. That's some frame of theology would suggest that. But I believe that even when you choose to take your own life and you take some pills or even pull a trigger, you don't just pass away just in that moment of deciding. It takes a moment for your spirit to leave it. It takes a moment for your life to actually end. And what for us may seem like the blink of an eye is for God enough time to say, Ryan, I love you. Amen. And what, Ryan, just let me have you. I will carry you safely to the other shore. And I, I believe that Ryan is with the Lord because Ryan understood Jesus and he was fighting his way into the Lord's arms. And even in that desperate moment, he heard the voice of Jesus. It was too late for Ryan to do anything about it. He'd already set the course. But Jesus can still redeem a soul for eternity's sake. And I think that's the hope you have. Yes, definitely. And I know, Steve, you you have wrestled with this concept of grace. Again, a guy working in law enforcement, sometimes you have to go by the book. But in this case, you've also seen this wonderful sense of God's grace. Not deserved favor, but favor undeserved the goodness of God. Would you say that you have dived also in the way Sherry has into a well of grace that you couldn't have known before? I thought I had some grasp of what God's grace was. Through the death of my son, I found out that I didn't begin to have a clue of what it was. It is so great and so immeasurable that there is no place we can go, nothing we can do that's out of the reach of that grace. 
And I believe that, that God's grace is his supernatural intervention in our lives. It's his love in the physical being that takes us places and carries us when we can't walk ourselves. No matter how desperately we have messed up. Absolutely. That grace is not trumped by our confusion. Absolutely. What would you say to someone listening today who might be thinking, you know, boy, I'm identifying with Ryan. I've had some difficult circumstances. Uh, I may was molested, or maybe I didn't feel like I fit in at school, or whatever the challenges are, and I'm just not sure that my life is worth living. You know what? Maybe I could find my way to Jesus' arms just like Ryan did. Maybe I need to think about ways to bring my life prematurely to a close. What would you say to that person listening today? That suicide is not an option. Even in all your pain, there's always tomorrow. And you're giving up a lot of life. Not that God didn't, can't rescue you, but there's a lot of life here that he gives us to experience. And it leaves your family, their life changed and hurting forever. And you have to think about that the people who will come upon your lifeless body, the people that you have loved and have loved you. If there was anything that you wanted the world to know about the Jesus who has brought a healing touch to this awful tragedy in your home, I mean, really, that's what you've described, what would it be? His love. It's immeasurable. When I found Ryan, I just bowed before him, and I cried. And I, my hair, I wiped the tears from his feet. And his love is just... You had a moment when you really imagined yourself at the feet of Jesus. Yes. And he picked you up. He picked me up. And to this day, I want to live so that people know when they see me that it's because of him. Ryan will never be forgotten. And his life, difficult as it was at moments, still brought joy and life into your own world. And even in his passing your willingness to share from your own hearts is bringing life still. That honors him, and it honors the Lord. Wherever you are in the world today, whatever your journey might be, maybe you've lost someone, as Steve and Sherry have, or, or maybe you yourself are wondering about your own future. We want you to stop just for a moment and know. God knows you by name, and he loves you more than you could possibly understand. And that there is life still to live, but you have to make a choice to surrender into his hands now. Not when it's too late to regain life, but now when you can still grasp life. Pray with us. Our Father, we're so thankful today for Steve and Sherry and their willingness to speak about things that are deep, deep down inside and very painful to recall, and yet, Lord, a story to which you have brought healing. We thank you for Ryan's life. And we thank you for the hope of eternal life. And we pray for everyone who's listening to us today that they might understand the opportunity they have to find new life as they make a commitment right now to seek your face above all things. May your blessing, your protection, and your hope now clothe all those who are within the sound of my voice. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like to know more about how you can be in touch with this Jesus, who brings healing even in the most desperate hour, give us a call. Dial this number 1-800-757-VIEW. That's 1-800-757-8439, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We're by the phone always and glad to hear from you. 
Obadiah, if somebody wanted to go online, what's that web address? www.cbhviewpoint.org. That's CBH Christians Broadcasting Hope, viewpoint.org. You can read about the ministry. You can also send us an email. We'll be glad to reply. Or at the last, if you prefer, just write me a letter and send it by post. Address it to Jim Lyon, Viewpoint, Post Office Box 2420, Anderson, Indiana 46018, USA. But by whatever method you choose, please, let us hear from you this week. Steve and Sherry Christian, I just want to say, I love you. Thanks for being on our program today. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. And we're so glad that you tuned in also, and we hope that you'll join us again next week as we always try and help you see this world from heaven's view. For all of us at the Viewpoint Mystery Team, for all of us at Church of God Ministries, which is the host of our broadcast, this is Jim Lyon. Stay tuned.